through joy. Like we live on pursuit of peace or joy. I think of peace is happiness at rest. Happiness is peace in motion. And so peace and happiness are sort of two sides of the same coin. And so our, our life is just living towards trying to find peace, trying to find happiness. And we do that through relationships. We do that through trying to find the right job. We try doing that through being productive. We try finding peace and happiness by in substances. Give me another beer and I'll be happy. Give me another cup of coffee and I'll be a little bit more happy. But when we recognize the true source of peace, the true source of joy is already within us, not outside of us, something that we have to reach towards and grab already within us. Well, what we get is... <laughs> the source of peace already within us. We've been looking outwards when we should have been looking inwards. Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about our oneness with God. I'm delighted to welcome Keith Christich. Keith is the founder of the community Closer Than Breath. You can learn more about Keith at his website, closerthanbreath.com. And I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome, Keith. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Linda, thank you. Glad to be here with you. I am delighted. We met through a mutual friend who talked about um, our centering prayer. That was his area of expertise. And today we're going to be talking about our oneness with God. And I'm so excited to be able to learn something new from you. Now, you promote what you call practical mysticism. Can you please explain to me what that is? Sure. Happy to do so. I, I think a big piece of the spiritual world gets lost inside of a mystical otherworldliness that we mistake God for being in the sky. We make mistake heaven for being in the sky and we get lost in the clouds, so to speak. And so I try to promote a mysticism, a reality of oneness with God that is practical to our everyday life. The recognition is St. Teresa of Avila would say, God is in the pots and the pans. God isn't up there and out there, the guy in the sky, but the living divine presence within our hearts. There's nowhere closer to get to our sense of peace, healing, and hope than our very selves. And so it's incredibly practical to recognize like we're on the spiritual journey now, and we're actually home right now as well. I love that. And I, I hope to be able to even learn some more. You know, it's one of the things C.S. Lewis said is we are not, uh, you know, physical beings who are trying to have a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings who are having a physical experience, a mortal experience. And so as you bring God into the works, into our everyday, that it's not something ethereal, it's not something out there, it's something here and now. I love that it's in the pots and the pans and in me. So can you tell me a little bit more? So if I if I really get this, Keith, what is that going to do for me? I think what it brings is it brings us closer to the sense of true peace and true joy. Like we live in humans on pursuit of peace or joy. I think of peace is happiness at rest. Happiness is peace in motion. And so peace and happiness are sort of two sides of the same coin. And so our, our life is just living towards trying to find peace, trying to find happiness. And we do that through relationships. We do that through trying to find the right job. We try doing that through being productive. We try finding peace and happiness by in substances. Give me another beer and I'll be happy. Give me another cup of coffee 
and I'll be a little bit more happy. But when we recognize the true source of peace, the true source of joy is already within us, not outside of us, something that we have to reach towards and grab already within us. Well, what we get is <laughs> the source of peace already within us. We've been looking outwards when we should have been looking inwards. Isn't that fantastic? And the price tag is free. I already have it. And the availability is within me. So that means it's within my grasp. So how do I get this? How do I, if it's in here and I don't know what's in there, I've never heard of this before. I didn't know it was in me. How do I tap into that? Because I want some of that peace. I want some of that happiness. And I, I'm liking the price tag. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I love that. The price tag is free. <laughs> Beautifully said. I, I will say my path has been toward, has been the way of meditation and prayer, um, specifically the practices of, of centering prayer, as you mentioned at the beginning, as a method of meditation. And so, um, you know, I think a big piece of this is learning how to sort of quiet down, how to get beneath the busy, both in our body, which is, you know, we're conditioned to go, go, go and do, do, do and talk, talk, talk. <laughs> um, and so what happens is, you know, we're not very good at stillness. We're not very good at silence. We're not very good at practicing being alone. It's very easy when I'm alone to pick up my phone and start floating around in Instagram or Facebook. And I actually connect with the world in that way, which is a real beautiful, but there is a subtle disconnection with myself. And so, you know, my emphasis is always on prayer and meditation. And so I practice centering prayer and teach centering prayer as a method of waking up to our pre-existing union with God as a way of touching that place of peace within us. And it does not mean that meditation is about making us happy in the moment. I think a lot of people think of, I, of meditation as about, I should feel peace. And then when we don't feel peace, then all of a sudden we're not doing it right. Or the meditation isn't working. The meditation is just a practice of letting go so that we can let go, which is not very letting go of thoughts, emotions, and feelings of all the busyness internally, so that we can better let go of the chaos externally. And so the fruits of our practice are most often found outside of the meditation practice rather than inside. And being able to quiet the voices and the turmoil within is challenging. I have a dear friend who was raped as a child, and that... Uh, the, the pain and all of the feelings of guilt and the feelings of I am dirty, I am worthless, all of those things that were internalized, it became uh, masked, uh, what's the word, it, where you can't even remember it all. It just is gone. Mm -hmm. And then since that time of childhood, she cannot abide stillness mm -hmm. because to hold still in any way, shape, or form means that your mind at some point might drum up things that you don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to deal with it as a child and she wasn't able to. But later on, when it is time to deal with things, um, and this is part of our body's safety mechanism to block out things that we don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. When you're still, sometimes that's hard because it creates an opportunity for us to deal with things that we haven't already addressed. And some people still want to run from that. I, I don't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with it then. I don't want to deal with it now. I don't want to deal with it ever. Mm -hmm. Is there any suggestion that you have for someone who is in a place where 
I'm uncomfortable feeling. I, I don't like stillness. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Is there something you can do to help me so that I feel not terrified at the idea of holding still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that's part of one of the ways that we could sort of divide meditation and, and contemplative prayer, because I like to put contemplative prayer under the umbrella of meditation. And so, but what contemplative prayer is, it brings in this divine relationship, this relationship with God or the higher power, or however people frame that sort of um, spiritual being, like if we can go to the stillness and trust, it's not just me and my trauma, but that actually what's happening there is I'm being met by a divine force that's infinitely loving, infinitely embracing me. That is infinitely large enough to hold even my trauma or my unhelpful thinking patterns. Then all of a sudden that's that sort of chaos of the mind that, that bubbles up in our practice is held in a loving space. Um, That's not necessarily easy because you're absolutely right. Meditation, stillness, this sort of form of centering prayer, it um, really does open the mind in a sense. And when our mind is open, all of that unconscious, unprocessed trauma and old memories do bubble up. Um, And in particular, in our centering prayer tradition, we talk about divine therapy. So we trust that the divine is there receiving what we let go of as we surrender our memories, as we surrender our past, as we surrender thoughts of past trauma. We're actually not just letting them go. We're surrendering them to God to work for the divine to do that inner work in us. But the other side of that, so we have the divine therapist, and that's sort of the mystical dimension. The practical dimension of that is, yeah, we have dirty stuff in our past. We have a hard life. And so working with a a therapist in the flesh is often well worth doing. So if we're talking about people with with trauma, with real world trauma, you know, there's a spiritual dynamic that the prayer and meditation bring a certain level of healing. And there also has to be a therapeutic psychological dimension that I think can be met on the more practical level. I love that. So as you're combining both, and I also love the idea that you are bringing in a higher power so that if I am sitting still with my thoughts, and quite frankly, they're too big for me to handle. I don't have to handle them. I am allowed to surrender them. And what a wonderful tool that is. And I, I invite everyone who is listening to open your minds to this possibility because everything is so much better when we have help, when we have divine assistance. So, okay, so now I have this horrible thing that I don't want to deal with. But now when you ask me to hold still, you're not saying I have to hold still and relive this pain and relive this trauma. Mm. What you're saying is I now have an opportunity to acknowledge it and let it go and give it to someone else. Now that is not so scary. In fact, it's kind of exciting. You know, one one kind of famous story in in our Centering Prayer tradition is... um, uh, actually, it was a nun of all people learning this method. And she said, you know, during this 20 minutes of silent meditation, I had 10,000 thoughts, 10,000 distractions. And, and the teacher, Thomas Keating, I'm a Trappist monk, he said, how delightful, 10,000 opportunities to return to God's presence. So we think of our thoughts as distractions. We think of all these traumas, all these difficulties that come up as they're like getting in the way, like meditation. Again, it's supposed to be about feeling peace. 
I'm supposed to be at ease. I must not be doing it right. But when we recognize that meditation is actually on a much higher level than that, then we can recognize these these thoughts aren't distractions. They're an integral part of our practice. They are the invitation themselves to let go, to surrender, and redirect our attention away from the thought towards that divine source. And God's there smiling like the sun, waiting for us to look away from our thoughts. Stop thinking. You're always thinking. You're always doing. You're always feeling. Stop thinking, feeling, doing, thinking, feeling, doing. Rest in your being. God is our being. God is already there for us. So it's just a very different approach to meditation because we're caught where I think our mindfulness movements are teaching us about peace. But really inside of the mindfulness, a lot of drama comes up. But that drama is the opportunity of growing that muscle of letting go that actually flowers in everyday life, not in the practice itself. Because we might sit for meditation, have 10,000 thoughts and feel, well, that was crappy. But then the rest of the day, we're that much better at letting go or being open to reality as it is, not judging it, not reacting against it, that much more centered. That is amazing. Okay, so this is a whole new uh, aspect to meditation that I have, uh, personally, I struggle with trying to keep my you know mind blank I don't have a nothing box. I'm a girl. <laughs> you don't have nothing boxes. So when you say 10,000 thoughts means 10,000 opportunities, uh, that again, makes this less scary. So, okay. So I'm trying to meditate and now I'm thinking about, oh shoot, I got to pick somebody up. Oh, I've got to make dinner for someone. So then this is an opportunity. So when I have the thought, am I supposed to say, oh, wait, 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 let me let that go for now. Or, or what, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, when exactly. Thousand thoughts pops in my head. Yeah, yeah. That is, you know, the Taoists talk about the world of 10,000 things. There's just 10,000 things to get lost in. Um, yeah, that is the invitation in our practice of returning to our sacred word or to your sacred breath. It's letting go of the, so the thought bubbles up and you start thinking it and then you think, ah, I don't need to worry about that. So you step back away from the thought, return to your sacred breath, return to your sacred word and sort of rest in that spaciousness, even if it's just for a second. Because what happens again is another thought comes up and another invitation to let go. And so this, this practice of meditation, it's really more about building the muscle of release. It's like going to the gym. So we think of meditation like we think of medication. So I have a headache, give me some ibuprofen, I'll pop it in and I'll start feeling good. That's like sort of a conventional, I would say, immature view of meditation, that it's about making me and my ego feel peaceful. No, it's more like taking our mind and our heart to the gym and working out the muscle of learning to let go, learning to release, learning to surrender. And the ego does not want to surrender. The ego really wants to hold on to itself. It wants to hold on to its identities in a subtle way. It sometimes want to hold on to its own pains because it's a story that we're so familiar with. And so there might even be reluctance to surrender even what's hardest in our life to God because, well, it gives us, it's the story we've been saying for 25 years. So, you know, we can really look at it. Those 10,000 opportunities are like 10,000 reps in the gym. And the practice isn't about making us feel peaceful in the moment. It's about learning to get centered so that we can live from our centered self in an off-centered world. So that when we're driving down the highway and someone cuts us off, we don't immediately react. But like we learn to let go of that emotion. Like I could get pissed off and start cursing at the person. 
or I could return to center, just like I've been practicing 10,000 times during the meditation. So the fruit is seen on the highway. The fruit is seen when my son uh, pulls all the books off my bookshelf for the 15th time in the day. <laughs> the, you know, so that, that's where the fruit of our practice is outside of the meditation. And that brings it back to what you said at the very beginning, where it's in the pots and the pans. It's everywhere. It is on the road. I mean, we're on the road every day. We're, we're doing things. We're interacting with other people. We have opportunities to be offended every day, mm-hmm. multiple times a day. So the idea of this meditation, this version, this school of thought is I am going to the gym of learning how to strengthen my let go muscles. My, um, we would maybe even use words like forgiveness or repentance if we're going to put it in kind of a spiritual thing, because those are letting go. Mm -hmm. And these things are what really bring us peace. We, our burdens are lighter when we're not carrying all of the past Mm -hmm. and when we're not worrying about all of the future. If I actually only had to think about today, well, I can get through today. Mm -hmm. But if I'm trying to get through today while carrying all of my burdens from the past and all of my concerns in the future, it's extremely heavy. So I think this is beautiful. Okay, Keith, so let's say I'm somebody who has never meditated before. I am clueless about this. How do I start? Yeah, great question. I I think starting with less is more is very important. I think there can be a one message. It's like you have to sit down for 20 minutes twice a day and start meditating and be like fully committed. But that's really hard to do. So if it just means starting for five minutes, I suggest meditating early in the morning before I look at my phone, before I open my email, before I read the news, I sit down and I practice being because the whole day demands so much. And I turn on my mind, I start thinking, the emotions start fluttering, the actions start doing. Um, So I really recommend people right away in the morning within that first hour. I like to have my coffee. I like to have my book and some journaling. Um, I don't get that as much as a a new father here, but um, those, that's my, you know, that's my ideal routine of waking up before I turn to my phone and taking five or 10 minutes, in my case, 20 minutes of practice. But starting with, you know, going gentle, and if it only means two minutes practicing, I suggest doing that two minutes at the same time in the same place every day, because um, it can be really easy to feel like, well, I don't feel like meditating right now. Guess what? Nobody feels like meditating. It's not like a fun activity. Like I want, you don't want to go to the gym. I mean, I suppose some people really do want to go to the gym, but for the most part, we're all dragging ourselves to the gym to, to work out. And so it can feel that way in meditation. So if we have that sort of routine built in where it's like same time, same place, same order of events, I always have my coffee before my meditation. Um, it just sort of builds in that, that sort of routine is really helpful. A routine. That's so helpful. So I'm thinking of atomic habits and how you're doing some habit stacking. It's like, okay, when I get up, this goes with coffee and my meditation. So I'm putting it with something that I know I'm going to do because I want to do it. And then putting in that thing that I should do. And then once you get started, you find out, hey, I did it. I checked that box. And I really appreciate that you've given permission that I can do two minutes. 
because I think a lot of people feel so, so, so busy. It's like, yeah, you're telling me that I need to add something else to my day so that I can calm down. Don't you realize how busy and stressed and crazy I feel? Don't ask me to do one more thing. But then if you say, oh, but it's two minutes and let's start with this. Most people probably have spent at least two minutes scrolling through their phone, doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it makes it so that I can. And I loved that you brought up that, you know, this isn't because we have a great desire to do it. It's like, well, I have no motivation. I don't want to do it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not want to do it. The thing is to do something. And then the wanting can grow as we do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. And it, and it really does. I mean, I was just with our our Closer Than Breath community yesterday morning, and someone was like, you know, all these like months of struggling with the practice, and now they're saying, within the last few weeks, I feel drawn to it again and again, like in the morning and in the afternoon, that they're just recognizing they have this hunger and this thirst for silence and stillness. And where it used to be a battle to get themselves to sit down, they were talking about how beautiful it is that they're like attracted like a magnet to it. And so it doesn't start as desire um, because sometimes it has to start that we have to force ourselves to sit because it's not fun. But eventually, you know, as the contemplative dimension wakes up that we do recognize the divine within us, there is a certain attraction to the practice. And so we would encourage people to look forward to that because, you know, we do develop the muscle of letting go. And in a sense, it gets easier. It doesn't mean that the meditation gets easier. Just we're a little better at letting go more quickly. (laughs) So it makes the time a little bit more enjoyable. So. And that is helpful to know that it becomes not only easier, but also more enjoyable. That really matters. And you brought up the closer than breath community. Would you mind explaining a little bit more about what that is and what you have to offer through that? Sure. That's our, that's our pan. It's a pandemic baby. When the pandemic (laughs) started, I put on loads of uh, contemplative and meditation and and contemplative prayer offerings online. And it's really grown into this robust community where we have six meditation and contemplative prayer groups every week, all on zoom. It's an all online community. Then we have monthly contemplation days where we bring in different contemplative teachers literally from all over the world. And our members are from all over the U.S., all over Canada, Germany, England, Malaysia, Australia, literally all over the place. And we're all practicing the same meditation and contemplative practices together, learning from the same contemplative teachers. And we host a number of online summits each year. And so it's turned into this really robust community, but it's fundamentally about the community, about feeling that like support, you know, the accountability to practice, the struggling together, together, celebrating the practice together um, and having a spiritual community that I think so much of us seem to lack. And it's amazing what you can do online. We really are a family. That's beautiful. And how marvelous that you were able to create something beautiful out of something that was awful. I mean, mm. COVID was not very fun for anybody, but a lot of people who who found needs and found ways to fill those needs, and those needs still exist. There are many people who are still struggling with, from the, the after effects, the, the feelings of fear, the feelings of uncertainty that came with the changes that came through COVID. And so this is a way to let it go. Let go of your anxiety, let go of that fear, and to be okay in, even in times that are challenging. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic. Is there a cost involved to be part of the community? 
There is. We have a, a quarterly and annual sort of membership uh, contribution that people make. Okay. All right. But the people feel like family. So that's fantastic to be able to have a community and feel like you belong. And you're struggling alongside of somebody who says, this is hard. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, well, it's hard for them and they're doing it. So I guess that means I can do it too. Yeah, exactly. So much encouragement for the practice because you hear both sides. You hear people celebrating how beautiful it is in their life. And then um, the next person will share and they'll be like, this is so terrible. And you can resonate (laughs) with both of them and, and smile with both. So it's a really special place. That's beautiful. Is there anything that you want to make sure that we cover today before we close? You know, I just want to, at this point where we've landed, I just want to encourage people towards, towards the practice. You know, we live in a world of thinking, feeling, doing, thinking, feeling, doing, and we overlook our own bare naked being. And that is the infinite, the source, the, the divine presence within us. And so I think meditation, as you said, is the price tag is free. You know, you don't need to have an app. You don't need to have a phone to meditate. You don't need to pay anybody. You can just sit down and learn to practice here and now. And it's about getting centered in, in a really off-centered world. So encouragement, encouragement to start a practice if, if you don't already. That is beautiful. And what a great reminder that we are human beings and not human doings. And to take some time to be is more important than I think many of us realize. Amen. Well, Keith, thank you so much for joining with me today. This has been delightful. Beautiful. Thank you for having me, Linda. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by author Ian A. Gardner. He said, oneness with God is not a dream. It is the only reality. Everything else is an illusion. Today, I invite our listeners to explore your oneness with God. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. Please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. And if you'd like to heal your life from the inside out, there is a free video series at hopeforhealingfoundation.org. Just click on the free stuff tab. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed, A Journey Through Depression, and You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.